Well, this morning, we're going to see what Peter says about living with expectancy. As a matter of fact, he starts this passage off with the end of all things is near. And you know, in Peter's time, he thought the end of all things was near. You know, there was persecution, and so the church had scattered out, and they were sharing the gospel with people, um, as Acts 1.8 says, beginning in Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, and even to the remotest parts of the earth. And with all that persecution and everything that was going on, Peter thought the end of all things was near. And for us in here in America and, and with everything that we see going on with some of the laws that are being made that are going contrary to the word of God and the persecution that we see that is headed our ways, we are saying the end of all things is near. We're saying, come, Lord Jesus, come, take me out of this world. But is that really what we should be saying is just come and take me out of this or are we living with expectancy, expecting Christ to return? Are we spending our, our days here on this earth getting ready and being prepared to be with him for all eternity? And so that's our question this morning. Are we living like we are ready for Christ's return? Are we living like he could come at any moment? If we are, then we'll be doing the things that we see in our passage this morning, like praying with expectancy, loving, being hospitable, and serving with expectancy. Because as Christians, we don't just want to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. We want to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air, and we want to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. So let's look at an outline of what we're going to see this morning. Peter, as I said, he starts it off with the end of all things is near. So we need to expectantly be doing these things. We need to be praying with expectancy, having our minds set on the eternal things rather than the temporal things of this world. We need to love with expectancy, love fervently, allowing love to cover a multitude of sins. We need to be hospitable with expectancy, using our homes and our finances and our time to invest in others' lives so that as God prepares our eternal home to be with him, it will be done according to how we use our things here on this earth. And then finally, we're going to see that we're to serve with expectancy, serve using the, the spiritual gifts that God has given us, our gifts, talents, and abilities that God has given to us. And we are to use those to serve one another in the body, but we're also to use them in God's power so that he gets the glory in everything that is done. Before we get to our passage, though, let's get some background. Peter is writing to believers who are scattered. And as I said earlier, they're scattered because of persecution. And so Peter writes in 1 Peter 5, 12, his, his purpose for writing this is so that these believers that are being persecuted will stand firm in the true grace of God. And that's what we have to do. We have to stand for the truths that are in God's word, even though we see that persecution is headed our way and that things are going contrary to the word of God. We've got to stand in the true grace of God. It is by grace that we have been saved. It's by grace we are being saved. And it's by grace that one day Jesus Christ will come back and will take us to be with him for all eternity. He exhorts the believers to grow like newborn babies, longing for the pure milk of the word. He encourages them to live godly lives in reference to their relationships. He reminds them that if we are going to suffer, we need to suffer for the sake of Christ. We need to be ready to give an answer for the hope that is within us. 
In other words, we need to know what we believe and why we believe it, and we need to be able to share it with other people, and whenever we do so, we are to do so in gentleness and reverence. At the end of chapter 3, Peter reminds the believers of how Christ suffered, dying for sins once for all, for the just, for the unjust, so that he can bring us back to God. He reminds us that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, and he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He did all of this in his first coming through his death and resurrection. Jesus made the way of God, way to God available to anyone who would simply believe in him. And we as believers are expectantly waiting for Christ's return as we meet him in the air so we can always be with the Lord. Well, Peter begins chapter four with a reminder that Christ suffered in the flesh So we should arm ourselves for that same purpose. When we stand for Christ, we're going contrary to the world. When we stand for the truths of God's word, people will malign us. They'll call us bigots. They'll call us haters. We shouldn't be surprised. God told us it would happen. Jesus said, if you, if the world, or if the world hated me and they will hate you as well whenever we stand for the truths of God's word. He goes on in the next few verses and he reminds them that we don't need to live like who we used to be, like unbelievers, because we're new creations, we're born again, we're in Christ, we don't need to live that lifestyle anymore. And by not living that lifestyle, some of the people that we used to associate with, some other people in the world may not like the way that we live our lives, the way that we stand for Christ, the way that we don't do some of the sinful things that we used to do. But we're not to worry about their judgment because there is one lawgiver and judge, and that is God. And the truth is, one day every person will stand before Jesus Christ, and we're going to be judged for the things that we've done here on this earth in as believers, we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ to give, to be recompensed, to be paid back for the things that we've done in this world, whether good or worthless. For unbelievers, the dead people, the spiritually dead people, they're going to be judged as well. They're going to stand before the great white throne judgment and the books are going to be opened and they're going to see that even though they may have lived a good life, that their deeds are not good enough for them to be with God. You know, our, our good deeds are nothing but filthy rags as Isaiah 64, 6 says. And so we need our names written in the book of the life. How do they get in there? By faith in Jesus Christ. By believing in Jesus Christ, we get eternal life. Our name is written in the book of life. If our name is not written in the book of life, we're separated from God for all eternity. So for us, what are we to do? We're to witness, we're to, to, to share the gospel with those people who are spiritually dead. And so we need to reach out to them, tell them what Jesus Christ did, how he left the glories of heaven. He became a man. He lived on this earth and he willingly went to the cross of Calvary and died for their sins. And how he arose from the grave conquering death and that whosoever would believe in him, and that includes all people, it's inclusive to all people of every generation, of every race, of every nation, doesn't matter if you're male or female, whosoever will believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's a good news message, and that's a message that we need to be sharing with people who are out here 
out in the world. And if you're here today or watching online and you've never believed in Jesus Christ for eternal life, right where you are, you can believe in him and he offers you the gift of everlasting life. It is that simple, but that doesn't mean your life is gonna be simple after you believe in Jesus Christ because who is Peter writing to? He's writing to Christians who are being persecuted for their faith in Jesus Christ, for their stand for the truths of Jesus Christ. And that brings us to 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7, the beginning of the passage that we'll be looking at this morning, where Peter reminds the believers that the end of all things is near. Now, Peter thought in his time, as I said earlier, that it was his time, that, that when Christ was coming back, and that's why he says the end of all things is near. He was expecting Christ to return. It's been 2,000 years and Christ hasn't come yet. But the truth is, he could come at any moment. There are no signs. There are no things that have to line up. Jesus Christ is just seated, seating at the right hand of the throne of God, waiting for the Father to come and say, come take your bride home. And so he could come at any minute. So we need to be living with expectancy. Look again at verse seven. He says, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. So be ready. Therefore, be of sound judgment. That has the idea of proper thinking, thinking on the right things with an eternal perspective. If we're not going, if we're not going to be here much longer, then we don't need to be living for the temporal things of this world. We need to be living for the eternal things. He goes on and says, and sober in spirit. This has the idea of being self self-controlled. We need to be alert. We need to be self-controlled. Why? Because Christ could return at any moment. So how do we prepare for his, start, his return? It starts with prayer. And he says that for the purpose of prayer at the end of verse seven. And that brings us to our first point. We need to be prayerful people, praying with expectancy, with the trials that come in our lives. Oftentimes, what do we do? We go to God in prayer. But what are we praying for? Are we just praying, God, get me out of this trial? God, get me out of this world because things are going crazy and um, there's persecution that I see that's headed this way and I don't want to live here and I don't want my, my children to have to go through there. So God, just take me out of here. Is that what we should be praying that's, that's fine to be praying that, but what we should be doing is praying with expectancy, praying that God, as long as you have me here on this earth, prepare me and get me ready to meet you. Help me to prepare the people that are around me to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ so that they can know you better, so that I can know you better. Because as we teach people, we get sharpened in our knowledge as well and help us to live in a way that glorifies God in our lives. So we should be praying for the preparation. We should be praying for those who we know who are spiritually dead, who we need to share the gospel with. We need to be praying on the eternal things rather than the temporal things of this world. You know, many times when we come together as believers, we pray for the temporal things. We, we pray for, for health and we pray for wealth and things like that. But how often do we stop and pray for the eternal things? How often do we pray for the spiritual needs of ourselves and others? How long has it been since you've gone up to to, a pe to people or a group, a grow group or your SBI um, meeting or a Bible study and ask them to pray for you to be able to have the strength and the opportunity and the knowledge to share your faith with your friend, your coworker, your loved one, 
or you've prayed for, man, I've got this sin in my life that's eating on me. God, you know, guys, come on, pray for me that I can overcome this sin that I have in my life. Are we praying for the spiritual things? Are we praying for our growth in our Christian walk? If we're expecting to see Christ soon, shouldn't we be praying, God, get me ready. Let me be living in a way that'll lead others to Christ, that'll lead me to hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. You see, Jesus gave us a good example, though, whenever he went to the garden. He went to the garden and he prayed for the physical. He said, Father, let this cup pass from me. You see, it's okay to pray for the physical things. It's okay to pray for... for for our bodies and, and the things that are going on and the sicknesses that we have. And it's okay to pray for uh, material needs that we may have. But are we also including in that the spiritual needs that we have, the spiritual growth that we need in our lives? So we pray to God. And, and so Jesus began, he said, Father, let this cup pass from me. So there's the physical. But then what did he say? Not my will, but thy will be done. God, you can just do with me whatever you need. I'll go wherever you want me to go. I'll do whatever you want me to do. He knew what his fate was. He knew what was at hand and that he was getting ready to go through the biggest trial of his life as he bore our body, bore in his body our sins on the cross, being torn in the flesh and everything for us. And so we need to add to our prayers on a regular basis, not only the physical, the material, but also the spiritual things in life. So we need to pray with expectancy. And that's our horizontal component. That's how we speak to God. And God speaks to us through his word. That's why he's already told them to grow, to get into the word of God and grow like newborn babies, longing for the pure milk of the word, to know the word, to be ready to give an answer. But also we need to pray. But we also have one another. We have each other who is around us. And we're going to see three one another's in this passage. We see that we are to love one another. We are to be hospitable to one another. And we are to be serving one another. But let's begin with the first of these one another's. And it says, love one another. Look with me at verse 8. He says, above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. And look how Peter starts this off. Above all, love. Above prayer, let's love. Above everything, let's love. Above inviting people into our homes, let's love. Above serving people, let's love. Because if we do, if we love people and we love God, most of all, then all of these other things are going to fall into place. So above all, love. 1 Corinthians 13, Paul said, but faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. When Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He said, you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and you love your neighbor as yourself. If you're doing that, then all of the other commandments are gonna fall into place. You'll be doing those if you love God and you love others. With all that's going on in this world, you know, the Christians, us, we're being watched very closely as how we're going to act and react. Nothing turns unbelievers off quicker than whenever they see believers fighting amongst themselves. 
you know, we've got to be united as, as um, Hunter spoke about in our grow group time this morning. We've got to have unity in the body. We've got to be unified inside the body. But that doesn't just mean whenever we're inside the four walls of this building. We need to be unified as a church as we go out into the world, as we go out into our workplace. We need to be unified as we go out on Facebook and we don't need to be um, bashing one another and doing things like that. We need to be unified and growing and showing the world what it means to love one another. Just as John said, all men will know you are my disciples by our love for one another. And so we need to be loving one another. You see, um, I've got a quote that I had written in my Bible beside this verse. It says, we need to show people love before we can show people Christ. So if we want to have a credible testimony to unbelievers about Christ, we need to, above all, love one another. And notice how he says it in that verse. He says, keep fervent. This is with full strength, intensity, determination. We are to love one another. And there is a benefit in loving one another fervently, and it is that love covers a multitude of sins. You see, it's God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He gave his son to do what? To take care of the sin barrier that separated us from God. It's love that covers a multitude of sins. Jesus Christ didn't just cover our sins. He paid for them. He took care of them, past, present, and future for all times. We are to be be like Christ, and we are to allow love to cover a multitude of sins. Even as believers, though, we still sin because we're of the same family and the same ministry and the ministry of reconciliation. What should we do? We should allow love to cover a multitude of sins. And thinking about loving with expectancy. If you knew Christ were going to return, wouldn't you want to have all your relationships in order? Wouldn't you want to have the relationships with all of your believers that you're going to be with for all eternity in order? What if Jesus Christ just returned and took your father, your mother, your brother, your sister, your aunt, your uncle, your best friend, your coworker, and they left this earth? Do you want to be left with, with the, the guilt and the doubt and why didn't I just allow love to cover? Why wasn't I reconciled to them? Why didn't I just let that take care of itself? Why did I hold that grudge? We don't want that. If we're living with expectancy, expecting that, that Christ could return, if, if we're expecting that anyone could leave this earth at any time, then we need to take care of our relationships. Now, there's a truth that love can't cover every sin. You know, there are some times whenever we have to go and we, we confront people, and there's a biblical way to do that, and that's found in Matthew 18. But if possible, as far as we can, let's allow love to cover a multitude of sins. So first off, we see that above all, we are to love. Then next, we see that we are to be hospitable. And that's what he says in verse nine. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. So we're to be hospitable with expectancy. We're to be hospitable without complaint. Being hospitable is different from social entertaining. Entertaining many times focuses on the host. 
You know, I want to invite you into my house to see how lovely my house is. I want to invite you into my house and look at this amazing meal, this expensive meal that I have prepared sitting on this china plates and all of these things. You know, it's a lot about the host, but hospitality is different. It focuses on the guest, whatever their needs may be. They may need a good meal. They may need an attentive ear. This life is so full of negativity. We've already seen that we're to love one another. One way we can love one another because love is an action, we can open our homes. When the guests arrive, we make sure that it's all about them. And like like I said, he makes it even harder because he says to do this without complaint. How many times have we heard that, you know, your wife or your husband has invited somebody over and here the complaining starts, you know, all they want to do is gripe about this or that, or they just want to talk about their hobby that I have no, no interest in, or all they want to do is talk about their job or, or uh, politics or these kind of things. Why did you invite these people over here to my house? Or even worse, whenever they get to your home, all you want to do instead of feeding them and, and encouraging them and building them up is we throw up everything that's going on in our lives. We give them all the negativity that we have in our lives. And we want to talk about what's going on in the world and how bad it is, or what's going on in my life and how bad it is. You invited them into your home and you're to minister to them. You're to feed them. You're to encourage them and build them up. That's what hospitality is about. It's not about you. It's about them. So let's use our current homes to be hospitable to one another without complaint as we expectantly await the finish of our new home that God is preparing for us in that place where we can be with him always. And that takes us to this final one another, this final command that Peter is giving for us who are believers, who are expectantly awaiting the return of Christ. And it's found in verses 10 and 11. Look with me at verses 10 and 11. As each one has received a gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God, and whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Peter starts out by reminding the believers that each of us have received at least one spiritual gift. It says special gift. If you look at it in the NASB, that word special, if you notice, is in italics because it wasn't there. But the truth is each and every one of us receive a gift and it's a spiritual gift. And we get it at the moment we believe in Jesus Christ. And that gift is given to us by God. It's given to us by the Holy Spirit. And we are to use that gift to serve one another and to glorify God as we see in these verses right here. There are some people that teach that, you know, you need these other gifts. You need these gifts because they're better than all of the others. But the truth is, whatever gift has been given to you has been given to you by God and you don't need any other gifts other than the gifts that he gives you. But what are you to do with the gifts that you have? You're to use them to serve one another and to glorify God. 
In verse 11, Peter divides the gifts into two categories. He doesn't give us an exhaustive list, but if you want to look at spiritual gifts, if you don't know what your spiritual gifts are, um, or if you're interested in spiritual gifts, there's four places you can find in Scripture, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, and then here in 1 Peter chapter 4, where you can find spiritual gifts. If you don't know what your spiritual gifts are, I encourage you to go there and to, and to read those, those chapters and see what those spiritual gifts are. And then I encourage you, if you don't know what they are, we have a spiritual gift inventory that you can find on our website. If you go to resources and documents, there is a printable resource that is a spiritual gift inventory, and it's just a number of questions that you answer, one, two, three, or four, and um, it gives you a good idea. It's not, you know, this is what God gave you as your spiritual gift. This is it, and there is no other, but it gives you an idea of what your gift may be, and then once you know what your gift is, you need to use it to serve within the body. Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and give my life a ransom for many in Mark 1045. And so Christ is our example. We need to be using the gifts that God has given to us to use them to serve one another in the body. The two categories that he breaks down the gifts in this, this verses is speaking gifts and serving gifts. And notice what he states there in verse 11. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. So if you have a speaking gift, like let's say evangelism, you know, some people, they think that you can just live a godly life and people see you living a godly life and they'll know that how to become a Christian. But Romans 10, 17 says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. If you want people to know the gospel and, you, and the response to the gospel, you've got to talk to them. And whenever we talk to them, we need to tell them what the Bible says, that Jesus Christ died on the cross paying for sin. He rose from the grave conquering death and we give them the biblical response that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. We don't tell them, here's the gospel and what you need to do if, if you have um, decided to make a decision or something today, then I need you to walk down the aisle. Can you guys tell me what verse it says to walk down the aisle in the Bible? It's not in there. You won't find it because it's not a biblical response. We need to be speaking as though we're speaking the utterances of God. Where does it say that we ask Jesus into our heart to be saved? It doesn't. That's a man-made thing that we've told people to do. But we need to tell people what the Bible says, that you believe in Jesus Christ and he offers you as a gift everlasting life. Maybe you have a gift of, of pastor or, or a teacher, just a teaching gift. And so you teach people. What are you supposed to teach people? Are you supposed to grab a book and say, here's so-and-so's book. Let's study it. Let's have a Bible study. No, that's a book study, not a Bible study. What are we to be doing? We're to be speaking the utterances of God. And so we're to be teaching the word of God. That's why we do expository teaching here at Stillwater Bible. We go verse by verse, passage by passage, so we can see how the Bible flows in its context text so that we'll know um, how the Bible fits together. And then we make applications based on the truths and principles that we find in God's word. In 1 Corinthians 4.2, Paul says, preach the word in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. So if you have a, the, the gift of exhortation, you know, you exhort people using the word of God. That is the authority, not based on my opinion, I would do this or that, but based on the word of God, this is what I think 
that you should do. This is what I know you should do because I'm speaking the utterances of God. So if we have a speaking gift, we are to speak the utterances of God. But the truth is, no matter whether you have a speaking gift or not, Peter has already said that all believers need to grow like newborn babies, longing for the pure milk of the word. They need to know the word and they need to be ready to give an answer for the hope that is within them. So if someone were to come and ask you about salvation or the Bible or Jesus Christ, could you answer questions about them? If you can't, you need to be getting into the word. You need to be digging it. You need to be longing for it like a baby longs for the pure milk of the word. We need to be ready to give an answer for the hope that is within us using God's word, not saying that, you know, well, JB says this. And so, you know, that's, that's the truth. We got to get into the word for ourselves. We've got to know the truth and we've got to speak God's word to people. He goes on in verse 11 and says, whoever serves is to do so by the strength which God supplies. You know, we can't live for Christ in our own strength, in our own power. We can't serve Christ in our own strength, in our own power. That's why he's given us one another and he's given us the Holy Spirit. Acts 1.8 says, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And so we receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon us and we have the Holy Spirit at the moment we believe in Jesus Christ, he is inside of us and he empowers us to go out and to be witnesses in this world. You know, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. John 15.5, apart from me, you can do nothing. So we need to ignite the power that is inside of us. How do we do that? Well, we realize that we've died and rose again with Christ to a new life, that we are to use the members of our bodies as instruments of of righteousness rather than for unrighteousness. We need to live for Christ. We need to do as Romans 12, 1 and says, offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, saying, God, I'll go wherever you want me to go. I'll do whatever you want me to do. We need to do as John says in John chapter 15, we need to be abiding in Christ. We need to know who Christ is. We need to know his word. We need to walk with him step by step, abiding in him so that we can be fulfilling his ministry in our lives, working through his power through us. So why do we speak and serve according to his power? Verse 11 goes on and tells us, so that in all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. We use our gifts in God's power so that he gets the glory. You know, sometimes we think that it's all of us. You know, I did this and I did that. But it's God working through us that accomplishes God's will and gets things done. We can't do things on our own. We need his power. And so whenever we do things in his power, he is the one who gets the glory. Make sure he is the one who gets the recognition. You see, God is glorified through Jesus Christ. God is the one who came up with the plan. Jesus Christ carried out the plan in his death and resurrection. And it's through Jesus Christ that we're reconciled to God by faith alone in Christ alone. But not only in our speaking and our serving is God to get the glory. In whatever we do, in our prayers, the word prayer itself is actually the word for praise. And, and it's where we go to God and we, and we worship him and we praise him for who he is. And we give him the glory for the things that are done 
in our lives and in our world and all the things that are going on in our fervent love for one another? Is it easy to allow love to cover a multitude of sins? Can we do that in our own strength and in our own might and in our own power? No, we want revenge. We want to get back at people. But in his strength and his power, we can allow love to cover. So when we allow love to cover, who gets the glory? God gets the glory. Whenever we invite people into our homes, into our apartments, whatever it is that we have, and we provide food and, um, and time, is it our time? Is it our food? Is it our home, our apartment? No, it's the one that God provided for us to, to use, to steward, to, to serve one another and to glorify him. So he gets the glory in all that's done, in our speaking, in our serving, in our praying, all of those things, God gets the glory. So with all of that being said, let's think about some applications. And our applications come from our passage this morning. Number one is let's be prayerful and let's pray with expectancy, expecting that Christ could return. Let's be clear-minded. Let's think on the eternal things as we go to God in prayer, not just praying for the temporary things of this world, but praying for the eternal purposes and the eternal um, meeting with God in the air. Let's be praying that we'll be living lives, living with expectancy so that we can hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Then number two, let's love with expectancy. Let's full on love one another. Let's allow love to cover a multitude of sins. Let's don't hold grudges, but let's let love cover and move on with our lives. Then number three is let's be hospitable with expectancy. Hospitality, remember, is all about the guest. It's not about you. Christ is preparing you a new home. And if you look throughout the Bible, you know, we get our rewards based on how we live here in this life. We're going to have positions of responsibility based on how we, we live in this life, how we use the things that God has given us in this life. And God is preparing us a new home and he's preparing that new home, I believe, based on how we're using our home here. If we don't use our home here, we're probably gonna have a small shack there. If we open our home and we have many people into it, then he's probably gonna give us a, a big room, a big living room where we can gather everybody together and a big kitchen so we can gather everybody together. And um, so we'll have a nicer home there based on how we use our home here, just as we... Um, how we use our gifts, talents, and abilities gives us positions of responsibility for all eternity. And then number four is we need to serve with expectancy. Know what your spiritual gifts are. Use them to serve one another in the body and use them in God's power, making sure that he gets the glory for everything that is done. So after seeing these four commands that Peter has written in this passage to us as believers who are expectantly awaiting the return of Christ, I'll ask you again the question that we began with. Are we living like we are ready for Christ's return? Can we say with excitement, come Lord Jesus, come. And if he comes, are we gonna hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant? I like what Paul said in, in Philippians chapter two. He said, to live is Christ 
and to die is gain. Yes, it is gain. And we, we're praying, God, just get me out of this world. I want to be with you. And what a great time that will be whenever there's no more pain, no more sorrow, no more death. And we get to be with you for all eternity. And, and so it's okay to pray that prayer. But we also need to be, be praying that God, get me ready and help me to, to live as Christ. So as long as I'm here, I'm going to be living for you. And that means I'm going to be praying with expectancy. I'm going to be loving with expectancy, expecting to meet you and expecting to be with all my brothers and sisters in Christ for all eternity. And so I'm not going to hold grudges. I'm just going to allow love to cover. Let's be hospitable with expectancy, expecting that Christ could return. Well, how great would it be to have a big fellowship at your home talking about God's word whenever Christ comes back and receives us to himself? And then let's be serving one another with expectancy, using the gifts, talents, and abilities that God has given us so that whenever he does return, and he could at any moment, he could right now, it could be another 2,000 years, but let's expectantly expect him to come. And let's have him say, well done, good and faithful servant, when he returns and takes us to be with him for all eternity.